G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, the podcast where we talk about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graeme Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the Amazon category bestseller, The Fasting Highway, which is a book about that journey and that will give you an insight what it's actually like to be an intermittent faster, live it every day and breathe it and also overcome any trials and tribulations along the way, find out what some of the health benefits are and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. You'll be hearing from people in this series of podcasts from all over the world, from the beginner to the experienced and leaders in the intermittent fasting lifestyle. If you do want some extra support or you want some more information about intermittent fasting, you can come and join us in our Facebook group, The Fasting Highway Podcast and Book, Just search that up on Facebook and you'll find us. But anyway, sit back and listen and hope you enjoy this show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast. And just before we get to today's exciting guest, I just wanted to thank everybody out there for your support of the podcast this year. Uh, It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Listenership is growing rapidly all over the world. And we're now heard in 43 countries, so thanks so much for your support. Also, with my book, The Fasting Highway, which you can get on Amazon, uh, thank you for the support of that as well. Uh, That's been amazing, and thank you all for the great messages. Let's get to today's podcast, and this is episode 103. And we'll be talking with Alan Zerby. And Alan lives in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in the United States, which is about 50 miles north of Philadelphia and about 70 miles west of New York City. He just turned 57 and is married and has three grand daughters aged 26 and twins who just turned 24. And he currently works as an art director in marketing for a university. And as a kid, he was often described as skinny and always struggled to gain weight. At 17, he was 6 foot 1 and about 175 pounds. And then during his 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s, he kept gaining until he reached his highest recorded weight, which he'll tell us about in this podcast and here to tell us about his amazing journey so far is Alan Zerby. Oh, g'day, Alan. Welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Graham. I really appreciate it. It's uh, <clears throat> it's certainly an honor to be asked to be a part of this podcast. I, I listen to it often, usually when I'm walking or just ha- or driving back and forth to work. I love hearing the stories of how other go, other folks go about about their own fasting. Also love the shares on Facebook, seeing the pictures of the people and hearing some of their um, recommendations and some of their stories. And and I've I've pinged people back and forth on, on occasion, and it's a it's a great little community. Oh, thank you so much. And you're a very important member of the Fasting Highway Facebook community, and we thank you for that. So, Alan, for those people around the world that may not know you. If you wouldn't mind going over a bit of your history and backstory and sort of what led you to the pathway of intermittent fasting in the first place. Sure. Um, so as a kid, I was I was pretty skinny. Um, I was small and skinny when I was in elementary school and middle school. And I never had an issue with, with gaining weight. Um, but I hated being that skinny, weak kid. Um, and I, it would get knocked around a lot cause I tried to play a lot of sports. And, um, fortunately for me, when I got to high school, I grew quite a bit 
uh, taller. So um, I, I was 6'2". I weighed about 170 pounds. So I was still really thin, but I was able to compete because of my height. Um, and I played three sports. So 170 pounds for, for everybody um, who goes off the uh, kilos was, is 77 kilos. So I was pretty small and thin and kind of wiry. I was a three-sport athlete. I played football, um, played basketball, and I ran track. So because of how I, active I was, um, I was always working out, training, and, and I never gained weight. I never had to worry about my weight. Um, and uh, I, although I would have loved to have been a little bit heavier when I, <laughs> when I played football because I did get beat around a little bit. Um, and then in my 20s, I started to gain a little bit. I wasn't too worried about it. Um, and then when I hit 30, um, with my career, wife, kids, activities, and a busy life, I started to gain. And I was eating a little too much, a little too often, and too much of the wrong stuff, as it turns out. I didn't know that, though, because I was following a lot of the American Standard Diet and and, and all of those things and, and probably had way too many carbs and, and sweets and things like that. And I just got bigger. My weight just climbed and climbed from there. In my mid forties, I got up to about 256 pounds. So that's about 116 kgs. Um, that's when I, I, I took this approach of, well, I'm just going to exercise. I'm going to exercise myself back. And, and I did a really intense exercise program. I did it for about a year. And um, it helped. And I was able to lose 20 pounds. So I dropped down to two, like 236, 237. I felt pretty good about that. Um, and I think my body just adjusted to exercise. And I probably slipped up here and there. And I gained the weight back. I basically a year later, I was back up to 256. So then in my late 40s, early 50s, I just kept getting bigger. Um, by 2018, I, I was um, eight, I was 50, 54 years old and I weighed 294. That's my highest recorded weight. I probably was higher than that, Graham. I just stayed away from scales and mirrors and reflections and stuff. Um, so I was at a I was morbidly obese and uh, I wasn't happy. I wasn't comfortable. Um, and knowing that I needed to do something, um, the standard American diet, snacking, sodas, tons of carbs. I knew I needed to do something because I was heading, heading into a bad place. And, I, you know, I wanted to be around. I want to be around for my kids. And, and, and I think health is a big part of that. And, and uh, so during... During the, that 30 years of gaining weight, I noticed I noticed one thing that was interesting. Even though the three decades of, of, of being the way I was, when I would wake up in the morning, I'd grab my coffee before I ate breakfast. I felt really good. That was the hour or so I felt great. And I always wondered, like, why do I feel so good? And then when I start eating, I, I, I don't feel as good during the day. And I, it turns out it was insulin spiking and all that kind of stuff. So in April, um, April 2018, um, I looked at a picture of me standing next to my oldest daughter when she graduated from college, and that was taken a year earlier. So in 2018, I just needed to do something. So I heard about this intermittent fasting thing online just by Googling diet, exercise, and I didn't want to go on a diet. I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that worked for me 
that I could commit to and, and really control it. So I started researching and I started with just watching YouTube videos and I stumbled upon Eric Berg and Gary Tobbs and, and then I found this guy named Jason Fong. And I found his science interesting and I kind of correlated it with the way I felt when I was obese for that one or two hours in the morning because I followed an eight hour fast. So that's why I was feeling good. Then I asked myself, what if I fasted longer? Like, what if I just did that? And I didn't go about this in a, in a real scientific way. I kind of did it in a, in a conservative way. Um, but the first thing I did is I went out and I bought the obesity code by Jason Fong. And I read it cover to cover. And at that point, I was all in. So I started fasting in April 16th, 2018 at a whopping 294 pounds with a plan of, of, of lowering my carbs and, and eliminating all the processed food. That was the basis of it. So my strategy was kind of like two pronged. Um, I wanted to start like slow and simple because I didn't want to like dive too far in and then fail and then get even more frustrated. So this is what I did. Um, I committed myself to stop snacking. I'm not going to snack um, because my snacks between meals. So if I had my three meals and had my snacks, I was probably eating six or eight times a day, just constantly feeling like I needed to eat something. So that was the one thing I stopped snacking, but I kept the three meals and, 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 and I just did it that way. Cause I wanted to see how I would feel. So I began my three meals with the idea that I was going to push my breakfast back later and later and later. So I would eat my breakfast at 7.30, then it was at 8.30, then 9.30, then 10.30. And I immediately noticed how much better I felt. And I felt better for longer periods of time as I was moving my breakfast back. And then I pretty quickly lost about 10 pounds. I know it was water weight, but, but I was pretty excited about that. But I was really excited about how I felt. And I knew this was good for me. So when I pushed breakfast back so far, I just decided I, I'm just going to push it off my plate. I'm not even going to eat it anymore. So essentially, I was doing a 16A, as I, as I know from reading Jason's book. Then I kept pushing the lunch back. And I kept feeling better. And I kept losing. In two months, I was down to, to 254. So I lost 40 pounds, 18 kilograms of kgs in two months. Um, and I was feeling great. And of course, at that point, um, I was eating later and later. I, I ended up pushing lunch off my plate. So now I'm doing OMAD. I've been doing OMAD for three and a half years, pretty consistent, consistently. And I've done a couple of longer fasts and I can talk a little bit about that, but it's pretty much my go-to is OMAD every day. Um, yeah. That's fantastic, Alan. And what I really liked about what you just said then is how you felt when you started pushing that back in the mornings. And there are a lot of people out there that simply don't eat breakfast because they don't like to eat first thing in the day because they don't like the way it makes them feel. And by proxy, they're actually fasting because they've had their overnight rest, obviously, and then they wake and they don't eat super early in the morning. And we all know quite a few people that aren't breakfast people. So there's a lot of people out there that by proxy are probably doing 16 and 8. So you mentioned there you started there in, in 18. So obviously you're a veteran faster now, three and a half years. They're 294 pounds. And I believe you're in your bio there, you're six foot two. So you're quite a tall, big guy as well. 
and then you lost 40 pounds in two months. That must have been an amazing feeling. I, I know what that's like. I didn't quite lose that much, but I did lose quite a bit. So when was it that you thought to yourself, intermittent fasting, there's really something in this, and I'm going to continue? Um, pretty early on. So this was the summer. Um, I would say, so I started in April. By July, I was all in. Um, it was really, really working well for me. Um, and in September I was able to get my weight, my weight was down to like 235 by September, October, September. Um, I know that because I coached, uh, girls basketball and I went in, I finally saw the, the players after the summer and they were shocked at how much weight I had lost. So that was like 50, 60 pounds I had lost by, by September. And I pretty much just kept doing it. I, I never went back. Uh, I think that would have been a mistake if I tried to, and I had my ups and downs um, the following two years, but nothing dramatic um, because I kept omatting the whole time. Yeah. When you read Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, just tell us about some of the light bulb moments that you were sort of interested in in the fasting side of things with that. I just, I liked, I liked the side. Well, first of all, I thought he was great. You know, and I watched a lot of his videos and, and I just really tapped into the science. I mean, the main light bulb moment, again, was the way I felt the longer I fasted. So the longer I, I, I fasted, the better I was. The, the big thing was and we all hear about carbs and and all that. Um, they're not that good for you, particularly refined carbs. So, I mean, that was a big one for me. And I always knew it, but. I, I mean, I, I like you, I think I was addicted to sugar. In fact, I know I was. Um, and that's changed for me quite a bit. I don't, I don't crave it as much as I did. Uh, but I think the science was, 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 very, was very good for me. Yeah. So you're an analytical type of guy, obviously, and you like to delve into that side of things. But with your protocol, you mentioned there you mainly be doing OMAD over the past three and a half years. What's that sort of look like for you? And what did you sort of settle into with the OMAD? Was it like a 22 and two or 23 and one? How'd that go? So I, I leave it, I leave it pretty flexible. Um, some, sometimes I'll stretch it out to, to three or four hours, but usually it's about, it's, it, it's about a, it's about two hour eating window pretty much. Um, Cause I get home from work and I have dinner and I might have a, like you, I might have a dessert or something like that, or, or, or maybe I'll grab a, I'll, I'll have one beer or something. So it's probably about two hours. I, I, I have, when I was really being strict with it, um, I, I would maybe, uh, go a little shorter if I wanted to, to, to really ratchet down my fasting. Cause you know, I went from, um, at two, at two thirty five in September and October of 2018, I pretty much stayed that way up until September 2020 when I really started to dive, dive into it. And that, that's what got me down to, um, actually, I was able to get down to uh, 189 at one point. And now I'm trying to figure out maintenance, <laughs> which is a whole nother, it's a whole nother deal. It's not the same. I, I know how to lose weight now. Now I've got to learn how to maintain my weight. Yeah, 100%, mate. Maintaining is a totally different mindset to losing the weight. Absolutely. It's vigilance without obsession, maintenance. It's you've got to keep an eye on the ball, and that's the thing. And that's why when people ask me why I weigh daily is because, for me, it's an accountability buddy, firstly. 
Secondly, I don't let things slip away on me. And it's just part of my life. I wake up in the morning, I go to the toilet, I step on the scales, I jump in the shower, and I don't even really think about the number that's on there. I just see that it's in my range, and I have a goal range, not a goal weight. Because a lot of people get hooked up on a number. They say, I want to be 100 kilos, right? So instead of saying, well, I like to be between, keep it 100 to 104 kilos in that sort of 5 to 10 pound range, which is something I noticed in your bio that you're aiming to do. So yeah, it's a different mindset. It's a different way of thinking. Um, you got to pull up the spikes pretty quick um, because a lot of people go by their clothes and the way they feel. But I know for me personally, if my jeans got so tight that I couldn't do them up, I'd jump on the scales. I'd be 15, 20 pounds up. And it's a lot easier to rein in five or six pounds than what it is, 15 or 20. So you're right. It is a different mindset. So when you first started fasting, uh, Alan, were you eating all the things or was there anything you were restricting? So definitely knocked out the refined carbohydrates, definitely knocked down the sugar. Um, I, I, prior to fasting, I was drinking sodas. I stopped that. Um, and it was diet sodas, which had that, that spikes your insulin anyway, as I, as I ended up, ended up learning, but mostly, um, I, I really focused in on healthier whole foods, um, beef, chicken, um, fit, a lot of fish, um, and, uh, a lot of veggies, um, you know, asparagus, uh, green, I'm big on green beans, a can of green beans with some butter on them and, and, a, and a nice protein, um, yeah, but I would eat what I wanted. I really would. And, and the more I, the longer I fasted, I found that I really wanted the better stuff. I didn't want the, the, the sugary, uh, drinks. And, and for a while I was, I was dirty fasting, which kind of like slowed things down there for a while. But, uh, now I, I, I no longer do that. I used to make, uh, I call them coffee milkshakes where you put a lot of cream in there and sugar and, it becomes more of a milkshake than a coffee. Now it's t- totally black coffee. And when did you get that message, Ellen, into your fasting journey that the clean fast was important and, and it was the way to go and get those extra health benefits for you? Yeah. So when I went back and, and I was I was coaching um, basketball for that season, I would stop. And before that, I was doing the black coffee and, and I got a little bit off track and I was um, I was getting my uh, – coffee with cream and sugar in it before practice. And, and, and then my, my, my weight loss stalled and I gained a little bit. So then I did a little bit more research and figured out that I've got to be a little bit cleaner with it. And, and then I did that and I maintained that weight about 230 for about a year and a half from there until I really ratcheted it down this past September. Yeah. Did you notice any differences, Alan, when you moved from what you were dirty fasting to that clean fasting? Was there any differences that you noticed? Yeah. So what happened wasn't, it was weird. It wasn't so much that I I had the coffee. It was that I was hungrier earlier. So it became very difficult for me to elongate my fast as much as I would have normally done. So I was now all of a sudden I was getting hungry and, and looking at looking at eating lunch or or even a late breakfast and then so that was uh, it was very difficult when I was when I was doing that to carry my fast till five o'clock or six thirty um, which it, right now because I clean fast I have no problem with that none at all I'm that I'm not even hungry during during the period of day. 
Yeah, and I think it's that white knuckling to your window that dirty fasting becomes a problem because if you do have things like cream in your coffee, your body's thinking that food's coming, then all of a sudden you start getting hungrier and hungrier and you you just find it so hard to get through that day, as you said, and you start white knuckling and, and it just becomes frustrating. And I think that's why a lot of people give up rather than just clean fasting from the start. It's a lot easier. And I know Jason Fung talks about you know, having the cream in your coffee and the bone broth. But he's talking about people he's dealing with that are north of 400 pounds in his clinic in Toronto. These people are going to die if they don't get this weight off. So he sees it as if they're using that crutch to fast, then I'd rather see them doing that than not doing that. But ultimately, what he would like to see them do is move to that clean fast to not spike the insulin. And that's what he talks about. And a lot of people sort of misinterpret that message a bit and there's other messages in the fasting community we hear, you can eat whatever you want. And some of us, we can't eat whatever we want, even in a window during our fasting period. And you said there that you started gravitating towards that higher quality food. And I think that's the thing that most of us do. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, well, first of all, my wife's a great cook. So, uh, and we try to go out to dinner once a week. I've, I've got, my, my three daughters are grown. One still lives here. The other one's back on weekends a lot. The other one lives in, in Brooklyn, New York. So we like to have a lot of family meals, sit down at the table and, and, and she's a great cook. And she knows I'm, I'm like real picky about what I eat and things like that. And occasionally she'll make something that's, that's, that I'm, I'm not going to eat. So I'll just throw a steak on or a piece of chicken and, and, and cook up some, some veggies. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely gravitated towards, uh, much better foods now that I've been for three and a half years now, I'm pretty much dialed into what I want. I would love to have a slice of pizza every once in a while. And I occasionally do, but I don't crave that. Like I once craved it, you know, where I'd sit down and have three slices. I might even take a slice and then slice it at down a third and have a small piece of it just to say I had pizza with my salad without having three slices of pizza because I just the bread and the carbs they don't do well with I don't do well with them yeah I'm the same mate and if I'm driving down the road and I pass a bread truck I'm likely to put on two pounds behind the steering wheel because (laughs) as soon as I see bread for some odd reason I love bread with all my heart and the more high quality beautiful bread it is artisan bread the more I love it. But unfortunately, it doesn't love me. And I sort of worked that out. And I think it's important. And you've got that experience now, three and a half years, and you work out your trigger foods, don't you? You sort of identify those foods that are the weight gainers. And then you identify those foods that are really okay for you and which you you tend to learn to love. Alan, we also wanted to talk here about struggles with intermittent fasting because it's not a straight line, is it? And a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's easy and all this, but there are struggles that we face daily still, isn't there? Yeah, so my my journey, my three and a half year journey is is I would stall for a while, I would make bad decisions, and then I would dial back into it. So I was, uh, I've been a bit like a dog with a bone. I just want to get better at it. So when I would hit those bouts of 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 struggling with it, I would just dial into my focus and get more focused in on it and be more mindful about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing, and that was really helpful. But I I think it's a it to me, I always call it a journey and, and it's, it's, it's something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I'm going to have bad days and good days and bad weeks and good weeks and bad months and good months. Hopefully I don't have bad years, 
<laughs> I don't want those. But, you know, all sorts of things happen to us in our lives that can affect our mission. And if my mission is fasting and providing an income for my family and doing all those things, there's all sorts of things that can get in the way. And I, I think you have to figure out how to drive through that. And, 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 and so far I've been able to do it. And you're right. Th three and a half years is a pretty long time. And it is an indication that um, fasting is not a diet. It's, it's to me, it's, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. hundred percent true. It is a lifestyle. And now you've reached that maintenance phase. It's a, it's another phase on your journey. And um, I always say to people that it never ends because as you you do have to be vigilant, that's for sure. And I had somebody say to me the other day, oh, how much weight have you lost this year at a party? And I said, 600 grams. And he said, what? He said, you fast every day and you've lost 600 grams. And I said, yeah, mate, I'm in maintenance. You know, I'm happy to keep my weight in the range. And that's what it goes up. It goes down. I have spikes. They come back. But over the year, my weight's down 600 grams to what it was on January the 1st this year. And I couldn't be happier about that, Alan, because I'd gone for years and years where I'd be up 10 kilos, 20 pounds, 15 pounds, whatever it was. I was always up mostly in my life. And so now I'm able to maintain my weight in that range. And what I find with maintenance, it's really tricky sometimes where you go on holidays or something and, you, and it plays on your mind a bit. And then you come back and then you start doing your intermittent fasting again the way you always do it. And it always comes back straight away. So have you been on many vacations and that sort of thing in the last two, three years? Yeah, we've gone on vacation and, and, and I, I try to walk a lot, you know, especially in the summers and the fall and the spring. It's harder in the wintertime here because it gets pretty cold, but I, I even, even still walk but yeah vac and, and when I'm on vacation I, I generally try to walk every day and I'm like four or five miles and I think that really helps I do stay OMAD when I'm on vacation I might open my window a little earlier I might drink a little I might have a couple more drinks than I normally would have because I'm on vacation um, and I'll I may come back and I may gain you know four or five pounds in a week um, maybe more and um, and I still try to drink a lot of water um, and I try not to be affected by the water weight because I know what it, it's just water. Right. Um, but uh, then I go back to my my routine and I tighten things up a bit and three, four days. It's I'm back where I was for the most part. Yeah. And there's so many freeing things in this lifestyle, isn't there? I mean, you mentioned there your sort of top weight was up around that 294, or 133 kilos and you got down as low as 86 and that was a weight loss of 47 kilograms. And anybody that's ever lost 47 kilograms or close to 100 pounds, that is a life-changing thing. And one of the things you said in your bio, that you're a much better version of yourself, and it's life-changing in more ways than your exterior. Just extend on that a bit. Yeah, so I just, I feel like a completely different person. Um, I also think you know, people react to me differently. I was talking to, I got a, I got a new job about two years ago at a university and, and I was talking to one of my, um, somebody I work with and, and, and we, I, I, we started talking about fasting. I'm not even sure how it started. And, and I said, I'm not even sure I would have gotten this job if I, if I wasn't, if I didn't do what I was doing. I just have the energy now to talk to people, to be engaging and, and focused and, and the way I feel about myself is completely different. The mentality, the emotional side of things is, is, is like a complete turnaround. 
I don't get I don't get angry. I'm more more settled on things and just more realistic. And and um, you know, when I fast, I'm just more clear headed. Yeah, and I mean, you're a creative art director there, and obviously that's an industry where images everything, if you like, and the what you're portraying, and I guess it's giving you so much more confidence in your work, and you know, going out and representing the university, and and just having that confidence to make a presentation and that sort of thing. And I know for myself, when I was making presentations for work, when I was an obese guy, I was always nervous, and I was always really, really nervous. And I used to stumble through talks a lot. And then as I got less and less obese, that confidence grew where I just strut onto that stage and I'll just start talking and I was fine. And now I can talk to a room full of people and I'm not standing there folding my arms or trying to hide behind the lectern, all those sorts of things. Have you found that sort of happen for you too in meetings and that sort of thing? Oh, definitely. Um, I can I can present work or, or, or be in a meeting and and a topic comes up and and <laughs> I think really smart things are coming out of my mouth, which normally, you know, historically maybe I would I would be a little quieter and wouldn't wouldn't talk as much. So yeah, definitely um, I'm much more open and more I wouldn't even say aggressive, but probably aggressive. Definitely more confident, without question. Um, yeah, and also you can wear those sharp suits now. You know, I always used to say, Alan, obesity chose my clothing. And now I do. And do you find the clothing aspect of it fun? I do. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I like, I like getting rid of the old pants. Um, I was Graham. I was probably forty fours, roughly, and now I'm thirty fours, and probably they're a little big. Um, I really enjoy drilling holes in belts so that they can fit again. And, and I'm drilling the hole in the opposite direction. I, I, I get pretty excited about that, but yeah. And, and, and clothes just look better on me than they, that they used to. I just feel better in clothing. So yeah. Yeah. Funny enough was just getting ready before and I found an old belt of mine stuck away in a corner and I'll put it on. It was ridiculous. I'll post a picture of it later. It's pretty funny, but yeah, I know what you mean with the belts. I've taken so many belts into, you know, the, the guy at the kiosk that you know does the shoes and all that sort of thing, and he's had to take my belt. And every time I'm taking them, he goes, "Oh my god, mate, you've lost so much more weight." He goes, "What? What are you actually doing?" And I told him about the fasting. And then the last time I saw him, he goes, "Oh, you know," he said, "What am I giving us a crack?" And so I took him in a copy of my book, and I said, "Well, just have a read of that, mate. You know, and you you might get a bit of an idea of what it's like, and give you an insight, or listen to the podcast, or whatever." So it's funny how you touch other people, and have you found that through your results that other people have picked up on it and they started fasting too? Yeah. So um, my my wife does a little bit of it, um, but not near, not really a program. But she'll eat later in the day. Um, and she's lost, she's lost maybe about 10 or 15 pounds o- o- over the past three years. I mean, we look, be- we look better together in pictures. Um, my brother, who's a type two diabetic, he's doing it. Um, but not as rigid because he's, he's diabetic. So he's got to watch his, his, his sugars and insulin and all that kind of stuff. But he's lost about 20 or 30 pounds. Um, and, um, I've got some neighborhood friends that are doing it that don't really need to do it, but they do it because they feel better. Um, but yeah, I've got, uh, I've got some, some friends that are doing it and some family members. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's really humbling, isn't it, when they do do it and then you see the results. It just makes you feel so great. So we talk about the non-scale victories, Ellen, and the health benefits of intermittent fasting. And we all know this is a big part of our journey because it's not all about weight loss. It's so much more. Just run us through some of the health benefits or some of the non-scale victories that have came for you. Yeah, so I've had all the obvious ones, the feeling better, the more energy, the focus, mental clarity, emotional well-being that I talked about. I've had all that stuff that you would you would expect that most people who fast, who lose a lot of weight, they, they get that pretty quickly. Um, I can accomplish more in, in a couple hours than I ever could in terms of work and in terms of thinking, in terms of organizing, you know, ideas in, in, in my work life. Um, I mean, I lost, I lost a hundred pounds, um, and I did it in my mid fifties. I mean, that to me is a monumental non-scale victory, even though it, it relates to, to pounds and numbers on a scale. Um, I just, I, sometimes I, I have to pinch myself cause I can't believe it because I spent three decades being obese and being able to do that and not being able to do it very effectively with just exercise, um, is, is amazing to me. Um, one I, I, I absolutely love is, is when I see my reflection or my shadow, it used to be massive and I didn't want to look at it. I hated seeing it. Now I look at it and I stare at it and wonder who that guy is. And it's me. And that is, I love that. Of course, the clothes, the belts. I um, used to always have my shirt untucked to sort of cover my belt line and my and my, my and the thickness of my belly. Now I tuck it, <laughs> I tuck my shirt in and I put my belt in there and I, I just feel really good about it. My blood numbers, my past uh, doctor's appointment were really good. I haven't had numbers like that in decades. The other thing that's really meaningful. So for about 15 or 20 years, I used to have this, I would call it a chronic winter cough. So right around December, I would start coughing and it would be, it, I would have these coughing attacks and I'm pretty sure it was due to the inflammation, but it would happen every Christmas and then it wouldn't, and I wouldn't lose it until March or April, unless I went and got some, some steroids to knock it out of me. Um, I used to call, I used to think I was allergic to Christmas trees actually, uh, but I wasn't. Um, but I had this chronic cough and, and I haven't, I haven't coughed like that in three years. So. Yeah, and did you find also with intermittent fasting, you found a sense of calm? I mean, I, I found like I had, I found inner peace. Like I wasn't in a fight with obesity anymore. I wasn't in a fight with my addictions. I wasn't in a fight with food. And I just found total freedom with food and I started savoring it and enjoying it. And when I was preparing my window, it almost became theatrical, the whole process of preparing it, sitting down, mindfully eating and all that. And one of the things fasting did for me it turned me into a mindful eater, slowly, deliberately, and really savoring the moment. Did you find those sort of things coming for you too? Absolutely. And 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 um, when I I read your book this past summer, it was a reward I gave myself. I'm going to buy Graham's book, and uh, as soon as I lose 100 pounds, because I need to have three digit losses so I can sort of be where Graham was. So I bought your book and I was reading it in, at the beach on vacation and. Uh, the one quote you said I absolutely love and can totally relate to it. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read part of your book. Um, I was rewriting the way I thought about eating and when I ate. 
I wanted to train myself in mindful eating and learning to enjoy eating slow, deliberate, and making my window an enjoyable experience each day. That is the, that to me is the whole purpose of fasting. Yeah, weight loss comes with it and, and health comes with it. But if you can do that, rewire the way you eat because you go through decades of eating poorly and, and you don't know. We don't know. We just eat what's in front of us, right? When we're kids and stuff. And I was eating a lot of the wrong stuff, obviously. But rewiring it all and, and, and recreating the way you think about food. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's totally true. It's um, it is that process of we rewiring, rewiring. I'll get that right in a minute. Our minds, how we think about food, and for me, food was just volume when I was obese. I would just eat. I had no off button. I was eating fifteen, twenty times a day. I was eating poor quality food, but I was also eating some good food as well. But unfortunately, the poor quality food was outweighing the good food I was eating because. I'm quite lucky. I like some decent food as well. Even when I was obese, I've always been a seafood lover. I ate a lot of lobster in my life, fish, selfish, oysters. I've always loved that type of food. And it's not a particularly fattening type of food, seafood. But, you know, as I got sort of through my fasting and I started thinking about how am I going to change this experience? How am I going to tell myself that I don't need to eat this poor quality food? I don't have to get that cheap thrill. And for me, that's what poor quality food is. It's a cheap thrill now. You, you eat it and you, you think it tastes good and all that. And then not long after you start feeling really crappy and you go, why did I eat that? And then you get into bed at night. And sort of one of the things I wanted to ask you, Ellen, um, about weighing, we touched on before. Do you weigh yourself every day now? I do. Um, I'm almost compulsive about it. Uh, and the reason the reason I do is is because I know that if I weigh myself, I'm more focused on my fasting. Because I, I know if I if I have a bad day or I go out and I have beers with some buddies or something like that, let's say I do that, I know I'm going to weigh more the next day. I know I'm going to weigh a pound or two the, more the next day. But I want to know why, and I want to know it exactly. And and and. Um, I do. I weigh myself every day, probably twice a day, maybe sometimes. I just, I just, I need to know. Um, I need to think about my fasting. I need to think about my weight to, and when I do, I'm more focused and I'm, because of that, I'm more successful. So yeah, I do. I'm a, I'm a chronic weigher. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. Oh, well, everybody's got to do what suits them, Alan. And I think if you enjoy the science of that as well, finding out what those trigger foods are, like you said, you go out, you might have a particular type of beer, right? I mean, I drink several brands of beer. And I know there's brands of beer that I'll definitely be up in my weight. And then there's brands of beer where I won't, for whatever reason. More hops, more sugar, whatever it may be. But that's a really interesting thing you, you just spoke about then. But Alan, one of the things you mentioned back in high school, you're an athlete, three-sport athlete. And that's something where a lot of obese people tend to hold a bit of residual fitness, if you like. And then when they lose that weight again, they start finding a love for exercise. Have you found that? Yeah. So um, I I still work out, but it's not as it's not as much of a program. Like yesterday, I have a small little gym in my garage with some dumbbells and kettlebells and things like that. So I'll like sporadically just go out and and throw some dumbbells or kettlebells around for half an hour or so. Um, yeah, I do like exercise more. Um, I used to 
I used to hate walking. Um, my wife would always want me to go out walking with her and I wouldn't want to do it. I would be lucky if I could walk a mile. Now I'm, I can walk six, seven, eight miles without a, without a problem. And I love it. Put the, I put the music in from the sixties and seventies, or I listen to your podcast and, and I just walk and, and I enjoy it. Yeah. And we know mindset plays a huge part in intermittent fasting, Ellen, and as you strike me as a guy that has a very strong mindset, highly intelligent man. What part did mindset play for you throughout this journey so far, three and a half years? I just, I, I just would always um, work harder at it. I, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I feel like it's to, to, for me to be successful, I have to work at it, and I have to think about it a lot. And, and um, there's a great quote uh, by a guy named Earl, Earl Nightingale from the 40s and 50s. And he talks about success and the secret of success. And some, there's a lot of poets and authors that talk about that. Um, we become what we think about. And, and I have totally bought into that. And the more I think about fasting and I manage my fasting, the better I am with it. In fact, that mindset and being able to be successful because I'm mindful about it, I think you can take that and you can apply it to other parts of your life too. Because if you're really focused and you're thinking about what you want to do and you're all in on it, I think you can be successful. Yeah. And we talk about loving ourselves first with intermittent fasting as well, which is a really important part of our journey. You mentioned there when you're obese, you didn't really like your reflection. I mean, who does? You don't look at yourself when you're obese in mirrors all day. But when you lose the weight, and like you said, you're out shopping, you look in a plate glass window and you see that reflection and you stand here and you go, I remember when I first used to see that, I'd go, that isn't me. Who is that? That is not me. And I look around sometimes and I remember washing my hair in the bathroom and I'm drying my hair. And all of a sudden I, I take the towel away and I see this man standing in front of me, fit, healthy looking guy. And I'm going, wow. Who is that? And I actually gave myself a fright. I, th I thought there was somebody else in the room with me. And so that reflection is really important, isn't it? Because I felt like I'd been beamed up to the Star Trek Enterprise, then beamed back down on the street. And, and you mentioned there that people react differently to you now. Just run us through that to sort of how you were treated when you're obese to how you are now. Um, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like you were. I was a big guy. So I think my... Uh... You know, sometimes you're you're probably the joke in, in the room, but you might not know it, or you could be the joke. And and I'm not sure that that was happening a lot, but I always suspected it to be. Um, you know, I I I remember being at a neighborhood party and I broke a chair. I was sitting in it and it it, it sort of collapsed uh, underneath me. Um, you know, now I just I just feel like I'm a a stronger individual. I, I, I feel like people look me square in the eye now. I, I can command a room. Um, I'm much more gregarious and at parties and events and, and, and things like that, where I would have been a, maybe a, almost, I probably would have been viewed as being somewhat aloof or shy or introverted. Now I can, I can go to a party and I can tell jokes and just be much more comfortable around people. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with you and everything you said then. And obviously, you're a family man. You have three daughters, and including a set of twins. How have your daughters sort of reacted to the journey so far? They must be hugely proud of you. Um, I think they are. You know, they, they, uh, one of my twin daughters 
<laughs> I used to coach them in basketball. All three of them played college basketball too. So I coached them when they were little and, and through AAU basketball. And um, one of them had a video of me at a game. I don't know. I was just sort of standing there talking to somebody and they showed it to me. She, she says, dad, I was looking at this. I, I could, I couldn't tell who it was. And then I realized it was you. And she showed me the, the video. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I looked awful. I was so big in comparison to, to what I am now. And um, yeah, they're all very supportive. Um, I, I think we all like taking pictures now together and that's pretty cool too. Um, but yeah, they have all been very supportive. And they're also, I, part of what I wanted to do too, obviously I wanted to be healthier and live longer and all those kinds of things too. But uh, I also wanted to be an example to them and you know, show them that if, if they ever have challenges with weight, because it, it could be in their genetics that they're predisposed to gaining weight with carbohydrates and those kinds of things, I wanted to show them there is a pathway to do it, to, to fix it if you choose to. Yeah, I think that's really important, being a role model for your children. And I know it's a regret. You probably heard me talk about it before. During my two daughters' school life, I really regret that I was no beast dad all those years, right? Because there were so many things during their school life that I missed out on. The parent running races, the parent swimming races. I'd always hide, and I wasn't there. I didn't show up. I'd make every excuse in the book. And I know my girls love me to pieces, and they... Children love you unconditionally. They don't care how big you are. They just, you're their dad. That's all they care about. But I know my children suffered some bullying and that sort of thing and ragging about their fat dad and all that sort of thing because I was a big guy, six foot five, you know, 350 pounds rocking up at the school and kids would freak out. They'd look at me like I was some sort of freak. And, you know, that's that was a hard thing for my daughters. And when I look back at the pictures of their graduations and all that, you know, the primary school level and the middle school level, I always regret that. So I'd say to anybody out there that's got young kids and they have a problem with their weight, take control because not only do it for yourself, but do it for your kids because their school life will be a lot easier. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, um, and it's it's not even just that aspect of your life. I think what happens when you take control of your health in general, it it follows other aspects of your life, which is pretty exciting. You, 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 I see it at work. I see it in, in, in my relationships and my, you know, I'm, I want to reconnect with my friends and, and it just, it, it just improves so many aspects of your life. And you don't even really realize it until you stop and think about how much better you are as a person and how it's improved your life. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. And it opens up so many doors, what you can do. I mean, you probably read recently, I've just been on a 120 kilometer hike over some very tough terrain here in Western Australia with a couple of mates, something that was never feasible for me, Alan, you know, five, six years ago, just wouldn't have happened. And here I am out in the wilderness hiking in these very tough terrain tracks. And I did it and I did it fairly easily. And I thought to myself, this is fantastic. I can do all these things now. And it's really given me the motivation to do other hikes around the world. Some of the great walks in New Zealand, come to America, do some of the great hikes in Colorado. And it just opens up so many things. You don't realize it. Just going to the movies and sitting in a chair and you think, wow, I feel really comfortable in this chair. I'm not going to break it. Going to the restaurant, not worrying about the size of the booze or the chairs that they made, you know. And it's just become so free in every aspect of this, going to the clothes shop and not having to go to the big section, just go to the normal section, pull something off the rack. 
or tailor-made suit and you just love it. And I think it's so freeing, Alan, that we find freedom from obesity and freedom from excess weight through intermittent fasting. And I just wish this lifestyle was more mainstream than what it is. And do you think it actually is mainstream? A lot of people think it is. I don't. I don't think it's mainstream. I I, I think um, I think there's still a stigma about uh, in America. I, I know this to be true. There's still a stigma about not eating three three meals a day. Um, and I'm always somewhat careful when I when I you know tell people what I do uh, because everybody thinks you have to have three meals a day. I can't have I can't I can't, personally cannot eat three meals a day because I'm going to eat all day long and I'm going to fill the, the I'm gonna, in the, between the meals I'm going to eat something again. And, and I'm going to go back to, to, to where I was. Um, I, when I went to see the doctor the last time I told, I told her that I was intermittent fasting. Oh, that's great. Your numbers are better, blah, blah, blah. And, and she, she thought, and I said, do you have any other patients that do it? She goes, well, most can't sustain it. And that was her, her short answer to me. And, and, and I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And I, and it occurred to me, and I know you've talked a lot about this, why aren't healthcare, you know, doctors in our healthcare industry, why aren't they, why aren't they teaching this? Um, because I, I think a lot of people could benefit from it. Yeah. It's interesting actually, in a local practice where I live, I live in a pretty small suburb of Perth and, um, there's only about six doctors in there and two of them are fully on board with IF and, Went and saw. I didn't haven't seen this guy before. I went and saw him the other day, an Indian guy. And I rock up to his doctor's surgery and I walk in, and he's got my book up on the screen. He goes, "Oh," he said, "Oh, you, you're coming." He said, "My fellow doctor told me all about you." And um, I looked up your book and in, in the Fasting Highway, and he said, "My dad was a type two diabetic, and he took up intermittent fasting in India, and he reversed his diabetes, and he got off all his meds." And he said, I now do fasting myself. And he said, I tell my patients to do it. And we had a really great chat about intermittent fasting. We didn't really talk too much about why I was actually there. And then um, my other doctor, when I first lost all the weight, I went in there one day and she said, Graham, what has happened to you? How did you lose all this weight? And I told her, and I, I actually told her about Jim Stevens' book, Delay, Don't Deny, at the time. And so she got onto that. And then eventually when I wrote my book, I took my book in and then now she's telling patients about fasting. And I met a lady in the street one day. She said, oh, you're Graham Curry. And I said, yeah, I am. And she goes, oh, I've got your book, The Fasting High. I said, that's really great. I said, how did you hear about fasting? She said, oh, it was your doctor that told me. I thought, how fantastic is that? And it just made me feel so good. But, you know, it's, I think it's just so freeing, Alan, that we have this pathway, don't we, for the rest of our life and the world's our oyster. Yeah, no question about it. I, I, I don't see myself stopping. Um, I will fast for life. There's no question about it. Yeah, why wouldn't you? You don't want to go back to what you were and your habits and being obese as you were and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's why I stay plugged into the Facebook groups. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I wrote the book. For me, it's almost like an insurance policy because if I stay plugged into the people that are my tribe, I'll be right. And if you just sort of walk away from that support, I think that can become a slippery slope. And did you find the Facebook groups net were helpful for you on your journey? Yeah, you, usually when I um, in in this, this past uh, in September 2020, I really dialed into my fasting. I lost another 50 pounds, so that's what got me down to. A uh, hundred pound loss, and and I what really helped me during that time period was 
was reading the books, watching the videos, um, um, the Facebook groups, listening to your podcast, and, and I have a couple of others even. I, I just I just want to hear the stories and I want to I want to be thinking about fasting, and I do. I, I think about fasting every day. Every day I think about it. I mean, I'm sure you do too because of, of, of what you do, but I think about it all the time. I think about when I'm driving. I think about it when I'm just mindfully sitting at a, at a red light. I, I um, if I'm by myself, I'm going to be thinking about fasting. How am I going to fast today? What's going to look like today? What's it going to look like tomorrow? I'm always like really, really dialed into it. And um, that helps me maintain it. And, and reading the stories and hearing other people's successes is a big, is a big lift for me. And it's very helpful. And I know when I, when I don't do it as often, I get a little sloppier. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, I know when I first started fasting and I discovered that there were Facebook groups about fasting and I couldn't believe the pictures I was seeing and the success people were having and it really drove me because I thought, if these people can do this, why can't I? And I really thought, well, once I started fasting and like you, I thought I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And people say to me, you're not going to do this for the rest of your life. You're going to get to the stage where you're going to lose all the weight and then you're going to say to yourself, I don't have to fast anymore. I might be a more intuitive faster these days, and I think we're talking about maintenance before, and I think that's what does happen, that you might have some days where you might do 16 hours, you might have some days where you might do 19, you might have some days where you do 23. It just depends on how you feel in the day, and I find that the longer I go into my fasting journey and my maintenance phase, that I am more of an intuitive faster. And Do you feel like that you're sort of heading that way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I... I um... The more I do it, the better I get at it. There's no question about it. And and it's almost like putting money in the bank. You know, the more you do it, you got more money in the bank. You get better at it. Uh, I, I I call it my fasting muscle. My fasting muscle gets stronger when the more I use it and the more mindful I am about it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we could invest in a company that promoted intermittent fasting on the stock market? <laughs> I think the long-term sort of return would be pretty good. But yeah, Ellen, I can't tell you how thrilling it's been to talk to you today, but we're getting towards the tail end of the podcast. But before we go, I'd love you to give some insights, a very experienced man, three and a half years of this lifestyle, someone out there that's obese, a guy or a lady that's sitting there just in despair, they don't know what to do, give them some inspiration of how to start and why they should start. Yeah, um, you, you should start. You should give it a try. Learn as much as you can before you go into it. I kind of just jumped into it after reading the book. Um, I probably could have done a little, I could have been a little bit more analytical about it. Uh, um, is it Chip Bennett? Chip Bennett is one of your, was yeah. that, he's really, he and I are, we're exactly the same size going in and we're exactly the same size. Now, his podcast was very good because he's much more scientific about it. I was I was impressed by him. So I would say learn as much as you can. I mean, I've been omatting for three and a half years and it just fits me. I, I, I know we're all different. So don't, don't expect to, to lose what somebody else did because you, you, we're all different. We have different hormones, genetics, goals, lifestyles, and health conditions. Don't expect to have exactly the same results and be on the same path. Everybody's journey is going to be different. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, the other thing I think is important because I see people post sometimes and I've had conversations with people. I was talking to a friend of mine who was thinking about doing fasting. He goes, I just want to lose 25 pounds. I said, well, you can lose 25 pounds, but you can't stop fasting. 
So he was like, oh, it's, it's like a diet, right? I said, no, you, you, you pretty much have to keep doing it. And, and I know I've seen some people post, like they want to do fasting to, sh to get into a wedding dress or, or go to a, a class reunion or whatever. I would simply say fasting is not a sprint with a starting line and a finish line. It just isn't. It's more like a marathon that never ends. So you have to be prepared to run that marathon. And, and like I said earlier, my plan is I'm going to fast for life. And, and that's a, there's a double entendre in there. And, and I continue, I will continue to fast for the better of my life. Yeah. Fantastic advice, mate. And I think you're so right about fasting and it's sort of, once you start, it does become a lifestyle. And I think that if you sort of look at it like that and you say, well, it's a change of the way I do things. It's that rewiring we talked about of how I look at food, all of that. And that process that you go through, you get the weight off. And then you go through that maintenance phase of keeping the weight off. And I know that you'll be very successful at that because I can see it in your mindset that you're not going to have any issues with that because you know what to do. You have those tools now. You know when to rein those spikes in. You keep an eye on that scale every day and you know what's happening. So, Alan, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Graham. I appreciate it. Okay. Cheers, mate. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you so much, Alan. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you. And I think those insights that you gave and the wisdom and advice coming from that three and a half years of experience is going to help a lot of people right around the world. So thank you so much for joining us here today on the Fasting Highway. Also, folks, uh, as mentioned in the podcast, uh, Alan is a popular member of the Facebook group, The Fasting Highway. Uh, come and join us there if you're looking for some support and getting into 2022 next year and you want to get started. That's the place to head to, The Fasting Highway Facebook group. And also, if you just want to know what it's like to live the journey, uh, you can get my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. And I'll give you a bit of an insight and also how to get started and what it's like to live a longer-term fasting journey past the maintenance phase. Okay, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.